0: chapter one part eleven of the story of an african farm by olive schreiner this LibriVox recording is in the public domain read by sally mcconnell in betty's bay south africa in march twenty ten he snaps i have found something in the loft said m to waldo who was listlessly piling cakes of fuel on the kraal wall a week after "'It is a box of books that belong to my father. "'We thought Aunt Sunny had burnt them.' "'The boy put down the cake he was raising and looked at her. "'I don't think they're very nice, not stories,' she added. "'But you can go and take any you like.' "'So saying, she took up the plate in which she had brought his breakfast "'and walked off to the house. "'After that the boy worked quickly.' The pile of fuel Bonaparte had ordered him to pack was on the wall in half an hour. He then went to throw salt on the skins laid out to dry. Finding the pot empty, he went to the loft to refill it. Bonaparte Blenkins, whose door opened at the foot of the ladder, saw the boy go up and stood in the doorway waiting for his return. He wanted his boots blacked. Doss, finding he could not follow his master up the round bars, sat patiently at the foot of the ladder. Presently he looked up longingly, but no one appeared. Then Bonaparte looked up also, and began to call, but there was no answer. What could the boy be doing? The loft was an unknown land to Bonaparte. He had often wondered what was up there. He liked to know what was in all locked-up places and out-of-the-way corners, but he was afraid to climb the ladder. So Bonaparte looked up, and in the name of all that was tantalising— questioned what the boy did up there. The loft was used only as a lumber-room. What could the fellow find up there to keep him so long? Could the boar-woman have beheld Waldo at that instant? Any lingering doubt which might have remained in her mind as to the boy's sanity would instantly have vanished. For, having filled the salt-pot, he proceeded to look for the box of books among the rubbish that filled the loft. Under a pile of sacks he found it, "'a rough packing-case nailed up, but with one loose plank. "'He lifted that, and saw the even backs of a row of books. "'He knelt down before the box, and ran his hand along its rough edges, "'as if to assure himself of its existence. "'He stuck his hand in among the books, and pulled out two. "'He felt them, thrust his fingers in among the leaves, "'and crumpled them a little, as a lover feels the hair of his mistress.' "'the fellow gloated over his treasure. "'He had had a dozen books in the course of his life. "'Now here was a mine of them opened at his feet. "'After a while he began to read the titles, "'and now and again opened a book and read a sentence, "'but he was too excited to catch the meanings distinctly. "'At last he came to a dull brown volume. "'He read the name, opened it in the centre, "'and where he opened began to read.' "'Twas a chapter on property that he fell upon, "'Communism, Fourierism, "'St. Simonism, "'In a work on political economy. "'He read down one page and turned over to the next. "'He read down that without changing his posture by an inch. "'He read the next and the next, "'kneeling up all the while with the book in his hand, "'and his lips parted. "'All he read he did not fully understand.' The thoughts were new to him, but this was the fellow's startled joy in the book. The thoughts were his. They belonged to him. He had never thought them before, but they were his. He laughed silently and internally with the still intensity of triumphant joy. So then, all thinking creatures did not send up the one cry, As thou, dear Lord, hast created things in the beginning, so are they now, so ought they to be so will they be world without end and it doesn't concern us what they are Amen. men there were men to whom not only copies and stones were calling out imperatively what are we and how came we here understand us and know us but to whom even the old old relations between man and man and the customs of the ages called and could not be made still and forgotten the boy's heavy body quivered with excitement. So he was not alone, not alone. He could not quite have told anyone why he was so glad, and this warmth had come to him. His cheeks were burning. No wonder that Bonaparte called in vain, and Doss put his paws on the ladder, and whined till three-quarters of an hour had passed. At last the boy put the book in his breast, and buttoned it tightly to him. "'He took up the salt-pot "'and went to the top of the ladder. "'Bonaparte, with his hands "'folded under his coat-tails, "'looked up when he appeared "'and accosted him. "'You've been rather a long time up there, "'my lad,' he said as the boy "'descended with a tremulous haste, "'most unlike his ordinary slow movement. "'You can't hear me calling, "'I suppose.' "'Bonaparte whisked the tails "'of his coat up and down "'as he looked at him. "'He, Bonaparte Blenkins, and eyes which were very far-seeing. He looked at the pot. It was rather a small pot to have taken three-quarters of an hour in the filling. He looked at the face. It was flushed. And yet Tant Sunny kept no wine. He had not been drinking. His eyes were wide open and bright. He had not been sleeping. There was no girl up there. He had not been making love. Bonaparte looked at him sagaciously. What would account for the marvellous change in the boy coming down the ladder from the boy going up the ladder? One thing there was. Did not Tant Sunny keep in the loft biltongs and nice smoked sausages? There must be something nice to eat up there. Aha! That was it! Bonaparte was so interested in carrying out his chain of inductive reasoning that he quite forgot to have his boots blacked he watched the boy shuffle off with the salt-pot under his arm. Then he stood in his doorway and raised his eyes to the quiet blue sky and audibly propounded this riddle to himself. What is the connection between the naked back of a certain boy with a greatcoat on and a salt-pot under his arm and the tip of a horse-whip? Answer. No connection at present, but there will be soon. Bonaparte was so pleased with the sally of his wit that he chuckled a little and went to lie down on his bed. There was bread-baking that afternoon, and there was a fire lighted in the brick oven behind the house, and Tunt Sunny had left the great wooden-elbowed chair in which he passed her life, and waddled out to look at it. Not far off was Waldo, who, having thrown a pail of food into the pigsty, now leaned over the sod-wall looking at the pigs half of the sty was dry, but the lower half was a pool of mud, on the edge of which the mother-sow lay with closed eyes, her ten little ones sucking. The father-pig, knee-deep in the mud, stood running his snout into a rotten pumpkin and wriggling his curled tail. Waldo wondered dreamily as he stared why they were pleasant to look at. Taken singly they were not beautiful, taking together they were— was it not because there was a certain harmony about them? The old sow was suited to the little pigs, and the little pigs to their mother, the old boar to the rotten pumpkin, and all to the mud. They suggested the thought of nothing that should be added, of nothing that should be taken away. And, he wondered on vaguely, was not that the secret of all beauty, that you look on? So he stood dreaming and leaned further and further over the sod wall, and looked at the pigs. All this time, Bonaparte Blenkins was sloping down from the house in an aimless sort of way. But he kept one eye fixed on the pigsty, and each gyration brought him nearer to it. Waldo stood like a thing asleep when Bonaparte came close up to him. In the old days, when a small boy, playing in an Irish street gutter, He, Bonaparte, had been familiarly known amongst his comrades under the title of Tripping Ben. This from the rare ease and dexterity with which, by merely projecting his foot, he could precipitate any unfortunate companion onto the crown of his head. Years had elapsed, and Tripping Ben had become Bonaparte. But the old gift was in him still. He came close to the pigsty, All the defunct memories of his boyhood returned on him in a flood. As with an adroit movement, he inserted his leg between Waldo and the wall, and sent him over into the pigsty. The little pigs were startled at the strange intruder, and ran behind their mother, who sniffed at him. Tunt Sunny smote her hands together and laughed, but Bonaparte was far from joining her. Lost in reverie, he gazed at the distant horizon. The sudden reversal of head and feet had thrown out the volume that Waldo carried in his breast. Bonaparte picked it up and began to inspect it as the boy climbed slowly over the wall. He would have walked off sullenly, but he wanted his book, and waited till it should be given him. "'Ha!' said Bonaparte, raising his eyes from the leaves of the book which he was examining. "'I hope your coat has not been injured. It is of an elegant cut.' "'an heirloom, I presume, from your paternal grandfather. "'It looks nice now.' "'Oh, Lord! Oh, Lord!' cried Tunt Sunny, laughing and holding her sides. "'How the child looks as though he thought the mud would never wash off! "'Oh, Lord, I shall die! You, Bonaparte, are the funniest man I ever saw!' Bonaparte Blenkins was now carefully inspecting the volume he had picked up. Among the subjects on which the darkness of his understanding had been enlightened during his youth, political economy had not been one. He was not, therefore, very clear as to what the nature of the book might be, and as the name of the writer, J. S. Mill, might, for anything he knew to the contrary, have belonged to a venerable member of the British and Foreign Bible Society, it by no means threw light upon the question. He was not in any way sure that political economy had nothing to do with the cheapest way of procuring clothing for the army and navy, which would be, certainly, both a political and economical subject. But Bonaparte soon came to a conclusion as to the nature of the book and its contents, by the application of a simple rule now largely acted upon, but which, becoming universal, would save much thought and valuable time. It is of marvellous simplicity, of infinite utility, of universal applicability. It may easily be committed to memory, and runs thus. Whenever you come into contact with any book, person, or opinion, of which you absolutely comprehend nothing, declare that book, person, or opinion to be immoral. Bespatter it. Vituperate against it. Strongly insist that any man or woman harbouring it is a fool or a knave or both. Carefully abstain from studying it. Do all that in you lies to annihilate that book, person, or opinion. Acting on this rule, so wide in its comprehensiveness, so beautifully simple in its working, Bonaparte approached Tant Sannie with the book in his hand. Waldo came a step nearer, eyeing it like a dog whose young has fallen into evil hands. "'This book,' said Bonaparte, "'is not a fit and proper study for a young and immature mind.' Tant Sunny did not understand a word and said, "'What?' "'This book,' said Bonaparte, bringing down his finger with energy on the cover, "'this book is slech, slech, dawol, dawol." Tant Sunny perceived from the gravity of this countenance that it was no laughing matter. From the words slech and darbel she understood that the book was evil, and had some connection with the prince who pulls the wires of evil over the whole earth. "'Where did you get this book?' she said, turning her twinkling little eyes on Waldo. "'I wish that my legs may be as thin as an Englishman if it isn't one of your father's.' He had more sins than all the kaffirs in Kafferland, for all that he pretended to be so good all those years and to live without a wife because he was thinking of the one that was dead as though ten dead wives could make up for one fat one with arms and legs cried Tunt Sunny, snorting it was not my father's book said the boy savagely i got it from your loft my loft my book "'How dare you!' cried Tant Sannie. "'It was M.''s father's. She gave it to me,' he muttered more sullenly. "'Give it here! What is the name of it? What is it about?' she asked, putting her finger upon the title. Bonaparte understood. "'Political economy,' he said slowly. "'Dear Lord!' said Tant Sannie. "'Cannot one hear from the very sound "'what an ungodly book it is?' "'One can hardly say the name. "'Haven't we got curses enough on this farm?' asked Tunt Sunny eloquently. "'My best imported Merino lamb dying of nobody knows what, "'and the shorthorn cow casting her two calves, "'and the sheep eaten up with the scab and the drought. "'And is this a time to bring ungodly things about the place, "'to call down the vengeance of Almighty God to punish us more?' "'Didn't the minister tell me when I was confirmed "'not to read any book except my Bible and hymn-book, "'that the devil is in all the rest? "'And I never have read any other book,' said Tunt Sunny with virtuous energy. "'And I never will!' Waldo saw that the fate of his book was sealed and turned sullenly on his heel. "'So you will not stay to hear what I say?' cried Tunt Sunny. "'There!' Take your polity, gollity, gominy, your devil's book, she cried, flinging the book at his head with much energy. It merely touched his forehead on one side and fell to the ground. Go on, she cried. I know you are going to talk to yourself. People who talk to themselves always talk to the devil. Go and tell him all about it. Go on, run, cried Tant Sannie but the boy neither quickened nor slackened his pace, and passed sullenly round the back of the wagon-house. Books have been thrown at other heads before and since that summer afternoon, by hands more white and delicate than those of the boer woman but whether the result of the process has been, in any case, wholly satisfactory, may be questioned. We love that with a particular tenderness. We treasure it with a peculiar care— "'It has for us quite a fictitious value for which we have suffered. "'If we may not carry it anywhere else, "'we will carry it in our hearts and always to the end.' Bonaparte Blenkins went to pick up the volume, now loosened from its cover, while Tant Sunny pushed the stumps of wood farther into the oven. Bonaparte came close to her, tapped the book knowingly, nodded, and looked at the fire. Tant Sunny comprehended, and taking the volume from his hand threw it into the back of the oven it lay upon the heap of coals smoked flared and blazed and the political economy was no more gone out of existence like many another poor heretic of flesh and blood bonaparte grinned and to watch the process brought his face so near the oven door that the white hair on his eyebrows got singed he then inquired if there were any more books left in the loft "'Learning that there were, he made signs indicative of taking up armfuls "'and flinging them into the fire. "'But Tant Sunny was dubious. "'The deceased Englishman had left all his personal effects specially to his child. "'It was all very well for Bonaparte to talk of burning the books. "'He had had his hair spiritually pulled, "'and she had no wish to repeat his experience. "'She shook her head. "'Bonaparte was displeased.' But then a happy thought occurred to him. He suggested that the key of the loft should henceforth be put in his own safe care and keeping, no one gaining possession of it without his permission. To this Tant Sunny readily assented, and the two walked lovingly to the house to look for it. End of chapter 1, part 11